this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Okay, so what are the numbers on your company's dashboard? My guess is you look at your company's revenue and profitability, which are two great metrics to track, but there are another eight key drivers of the value of your company that go well beyond just revenue and profitability that are the things that acquirers want to know about. Going and getting your value builder score will help you look at your business through the lens of an acquirer. It takes about 15 minutes to do. Go to valuebuilder.com to get your score. Okay, chalk this one up to the what will they think of next category. My next guest, Mark Janes, built a product that allows you to monitor the chemicals in your hot tub. I'll let him explain the details, but it was such a cool business idea, leveraging Internet of Things and AI and all kinds of different technology to basically dispatch a text to your smartphone when your chemicals were out of whack and sell all the chemicals on a subscription basis. Very cool business model for those of you who like recurring revenue models. Lots of interesting information in this episode. I really got a lot out of the discussion around how much equity you have to give up at each stage of the uh, of the funding. Sort of, uh, Mark and his partner Justin went through a seed round, an A round, and we're getting ready for a B round. He talks a little bit about how much equity you should expect to give up at each of those stages of the financing for, in particular, a technology product. I thought, found that very interesting. Also liked his comments around earnouts. Mark has been through a couple of earnouts now and uh, has learned, I think, uh, a few different philosophical sort of things to think about as it relates to an earnout. So lots of good things around that. Um, here to tell you the rest of the story of Connected Yard and the product Finn is Mark Janes. Mark Janes, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you for having me. You are a prolific entrepreneur. I want to talk to you about Connected Yard and your product, Finn, but this is not your first rodeo. You've had like three other exits, as I understand it. <laughs> yeah, I have. In fact, the first two, I, I sold for other people and learned the lesson pretty late in life that actually you always think about uh, doing this 10 years before you actually end up doing it. Um, meaning, meaning you sold them when you weren't the owner, you were a manager in the company? Exactly. So the first two, um, I was basically building them, selling them for other people. And then I, I kind of realized that maybe I should be doing, doing this for myself. And it's uh, <laughs> There's a little more money in it if you go the other way. <laughs> so tell me about Connected Yard. How did this company come about? What did you guys do, first of all? Well, I moved into, uh, into California and it's an extraordinary place to begin with. Um, and Silicon Valley is an extraordinary place. But you have to get under the skin of, of Silicon Valley to really... Um, benefit from the talent that's here in so many ways. And uh, I was actually um, just finished a previous startup and was taking a year off and uh, thinking about the next venture and had three ideas incubating. Uh, one was um, um, using an Indian um, software team to develop a, a product, which I was um, looking at um, experimenting in, in, in interactive media on, on the East Coast. And uh, I met a neighbor and um, uh, living close to me, uh, Justin, who's my co-founder of Connected Yard. And uh, we came over for a barbecue and we are actually talking about the fact that our pools 
weren't that easy to look after. It's a bit like having a speedboat. You know, you're happy the first day you buy it and the day you sell it, but in between, it's a lot of money. <laughs> and so we, I had a pool and a, and a hot tub, and it wasn't going too well with the service tech I was using. So I was trying to do it myself, DIY it myself, and it was proving interesting. And Justin had a service tech and thought he was doing a good job, but never quite sure whether he was turning up and whether it was actually, you know, worth the money. And so we, we looked at the problem and we, we realized that smart technology um, with sensing technology was really growing. This is four years ago. And there must, must be a better way to actually make it easier in the, in the backyard. Um, so that's where we started from. But really, I think the interesting thing with our company uh, is it's all in the name. Connected Yard is about connecting the backyard. And we soon realized that you know, just creating a, a smart monitor that just bobs around in the water and analyzes your water chemistry and relays it to a smartphone is all well and good. But where's the ecosystem with that? Where are you disrupting in a positive way? Um, there's plenty of companies out there that disrupt in a negative way and get a lot of sensational um, press about them and, and, and grow and, and, and find the equilibrium over time. But we wanted to do it from day one. We wanted to create a product that was embraced not only by those DIYers, those do-it-yourselfers like myself, but also the industry um, who sold chemicals and sold services into that. I'm dying to find out more. So, but just so that people are clear, the idea was an RFID enabled essentially monitor that you put in your hot tub or your swimming pool and it would monitor the chemicals. And when you got out of whack, you had too much chlorine or too much pH or whatever, it would send a little RFID or a little notification to your smartphone saying, hey, you need to add chlorine. And my understanding is also the, the business model was, was you were selling the chemicals on subscription. Am I getting that basically right? You are indeed, yes. Yeah. So quick, quick, um, thirty-second pitch on Finn. <laughs> yeah, is that and uh, Finn was the name of the product that Connected Yard offered. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's a bit, okay. play on the word of PHN as well. So it's PHIN, and that's available at ph um, PHIN.co um, is the website. But um, yeah, so the way the Finn was was designed was was BLE um, low energy Bluetooth tra transmission. So the product is sealed for life. It's a uh, beautifully formed little device that, um, that sits and balances and floats in your water. Uh, it, has a, um, it lasts for about two years, um, completely self-sealed. And if you want to turn it on, you swipe a little hidden, hidden battery within the base of the unit to activate it. And then it uh, bobs, bobs around and relays by um, Bluetooth to, your, to, your, to a relay, a little bridge that connects it to the internet and to your phone. Um, and Go on, sorry. And what was the business model? You were selling the chemicals on subscription, right? The, the, the device itself was free if you subscribed. Am I getting that, that right? That's exactly right. And, and thank you for looking at the website. <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing with, um, with the model to begin was, was that we actually saw, as I was alluding to earlier, wanted to disrupt in a way that was actually positive to the whole industry. So we actually created a three-part business, which from a startup perspective is difficult. I mean, actually building hardware is hard. In it. And luckily, we had great support from some amazing investors here in the Valley, but hardware is very hard. But we decided not only to create hardware, but also to create a complete ecosystem with service, so an on-demand uh, service button like an, like an Uber for service visits, and also subscription of chemicals where you buy a year's worth in advance, and we ship you what you need just in time. Uh, we send out a box to begin with, with your, your fin monitor. 
and, and all the pieces that come with that. And then about two months worth of chemicals that have been specially chosen for the type of pool or hot tub you have. And those chemicals are actually delivered in um, water-soluble pods. We actually had to create uh, a second startup. Um, we actually um, invested in, in a small startup to, down in Florida to actually gr um, build the technology to create this waterproof film. And, uh, you know, startups never normally invest in startups, but it was hard and it wasn't out in the market. So we created these water-soluble um, pods, which were eight ounce and two ounces for pools and hot tubs, which were color coordinated. So your smartphone, once it analyzed the water chemistry, would say, hey, the fin app would tell you actually you need to add chemicals and add three green and two blue ones in. I'm totally buying one. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have like a hot tub at our, we've got a, a place up north where we ski and it's like, it's like the bane of my existence <laughs> like every we only go up in the winter and every you know every week or two and so there's always a you know it's always out of whack i'm always trying, like some like get, like scientists trying to measure the chemicals out i never get it right i'm too cheap to get like someone to come in and do it every week so i am the quintessential fin customer you got a bullseye over my head <laughs> well i'm sure awesome. we, can, we can help you out there <laughs> so um talk about if you could the financing of the business? Because this all sounds very expensive. First of all, creating the hardware, the, the piece of, you know, the thing that bobs around in the water. If I'm understanding this correctly, you weren't licensing someone else's technology. This was something you invented. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And and that's uh, the most, one of the most difficult things. Smart technology is growing exponentially, as, you, as, as we all know. And uh, the capabilities out there are amazing now. And, and a lot of people are turning to to, to pre-made modules. Um, you know, four years ago, a lot of it was experimental. And if you look at what we were trying to do, you know, we're building sensing technology that has to work in a waterproof environment. We kind of picked the most difficult one. And then it's got a ball in water at 105 degrees in the hot tub as well. So we kind of didn't make it, make it that easy for ourselves. So uh, how did you finance the business? So what we did is, um, to begin with, we actually got incubated by um, a pre-seed investor and uh, Tandem Capital um, here in the Bay Area. who are amazing. They actually um, um, put in a, um, a, short, a, a few hundred thousand dollars to actually look at the market potential for the product. And we actually built an incredible website and we pre-sold the product um, and to actually see what, it, what interest was out there after designing it and, and creating um, mock-ups, et cetera. So the, for folks who don't know incubators, what, what are they taking? in return for their few hundred thousand? Are they taking a piece of equity? Yeah, um, it depends on what kind of incubator you're, um, you're working with. But for us, we, 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 we were actually um, you know, able to work with, with, with a really good company that um, provided um, uh, investment for us to spend on marketing, but at the same time providing us a little bit of hardware support and marketing support as well. This so they're the incubator. incubating us through that. It's a hardware incubator with marketing capabilities, yes. And so, but in return, they're taking a chunk of your equity. Yeah, they're, they're taking a small amount. Um, you know, they're, they're, normally, you know, you're talking about ten percent um, because this is early. This is pre-seed. Uh, and out of interest, I mean, you'd already had a successful exit, one of your own, and, and two for others. Were you tempted to finance it yourself and keep all the equity? Um, I think that that goes on to a much bigger story, which I'll, I'll mm -hmm. talk about later. But but, but the answer is no, because um, you're putting in your own money in any case. I mean, this money you're, that has been given to you is not for, for salaries and for your lifestyle. This is for products. This is for 
tangible resources that actually get the product to market or to actually get an exposure. So, you know, for the best part of 18 months, Justin and I were actually um, funding ourselves, actually building this business. And in fact, our team around us were sweat equity um, uh, incentivized, where they were basically taking a small um, stake of the business in return, providing a number of days or hours per week on top of their full-time jobs here in the Valley. And how are you guys valuing this? Because this is not really, it's just an idea at this point. I mean, you're getting market viability ideas. Like what, what, what's, how, how do you decide how much equity they get for their 200 grand and 300 grand and, in, in, in incubator funds? Like it's a bit of a shell, not a shell game, but it's, it's a bit hard to value something like that, isn't it? It is, but at the end of the day, you, you've got to both stare each other in the eyes and just go, let's get on with this. And so Obviously, if someone's going to offer you, you know, on 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 Shark Tank, fifty thousand dollars for fifty one point fifty one percent controlling interest of your business, you're going to find it difficult to, to 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 give away your business that way. But but taking a small equity stake to actually show that you you want um, investment, you want to grow this business to something better, is actually very positive. You actually want that. You want that engagement. You can't do this all by yourself. And what's next? So you, you had the incubator, and then I understand you you raised both a seed and an A round. Yeah, on the back of the the pre seed round, we actually got an incredible, incredible um, results back from the the pre ordering. We were inundated with with orders, and uh, that um, uh, attracted a lot of interest from our from our our, our A round. And uh, that was um, supported um, through Playground Global, Andy Rubin's company set up here in the Valley, who I, I must say is, is, is one of the biggest and best hardware incubators around the world. Um, just phenomenal. Um, and a big shout out to, um, to, to, to Bruce Leake, who basically saw the potential in us and, and introduced us into Andy's group. Um, Fantastic. And in, in, in total, I think it was, I was doing a bit of, it was like $9 million that you raised. Am I getting that right? Or seven million? No, we actually raised a lot, quite a lot more than that. What, what ended up happening was that um, we did two things. Um, the the pre-seed round was all about um, um, getting somebody who knows your space, uh, a hardware uh, incubator with, with some marketing skills to actually help you formulate a business plan and prove the market size. Uh, then uh, as you prove that market size out and 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 you start looking at your town and your available addressable market and and what, what's what's capable, you start attracting serious interest from investors. And what we did is we we actually got, went into another hardware incubator for that for that round alongside industry money. And so what we did is we actually took um, um, investment monies from from um, from Lonza Arch Chemicals, who had actually been selling chemicals around the world for many many years, and and saw the potential of the way the market was going of actually backing a company like ours as well. So to answer your question, we, we actually grew out of pre-seed to a to a seed, and then an A round to really um, and we got a, we got a. Um, a lot more money than than than, than the, the seven to nine. We actually uh, were in the double digits and 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 and, and attracting a lot of interest. But it's it's never enough enough money. It's to answer your question. I know where you're going with this. The hardware is very hard, and 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 actually, um, what we did, um, I think, um, um, for spending ten to fifteen million on building a hardware product is 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 pretty extraordinary um, to, to, to take it to into retail. Meaning that's extraordinarily low. 
Yes. Exactly. It would usually cost much more than that. Yeah. Out of interest, and this is purely curious curiosity on my on my end, if if you're a VC um, like this company, Playground Global, and I'm sure each VC has slightly different parameters, but if I'm investing, let's say, a dollar in a startup, in it not in a startup, in an A round uh, financing round. So you know the product market fit is there and, and it's it's in this stage, it's really to kind of scale the company. If I'm investing in an A round, a dollar and I'm a VC, what am I expecting to get out of it if all goes well? Like, it, it is, it, am I looking for a 10x? Am I looking for 5x? Like, what's, what has your experience been that VCs are looking for? That's a great question. And the problem is it changes a lot. Hmm. And it changes by incubated area in terms of um, what's normal and, and the, you know, and, and which year you're in. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, and where, where the focus is. And, and uh, one thing that I've learned is that um, never oversell your idea into a market because once it gets around into the investment community um, pretty quickly and someone's turned it down, then you age. It's like selling a house. You know, once a house is on the market for 30, 60, 90 days and the aging process has taken place, then there's not much interest and, and you've got to be very careful with that one. We were hugely selective about that process uh, and about the way we were going to go about that. Um, whether you're raising two million, well, not two million for an A round, whether you're raising five million for an A round or 25 million for an A round, the equity stake normally is about the same. It's normally around the 20% mark. And so my advice is, Go big or go home, you know, and you don't go in with a big sum that you can't justify, but justify a sum that you know will take you through to market share and penetration. And it's going to give you a product that actually proves itself ready for a B round to actually put the foot on the gas and to grow your business. If you're mature about that thinking and you're mature about your business model explaining why, then going in for five or going in for 25, expect to get 20% taken away. Got it. And how would that play out in the different rounds? So what what percentage of equity would you expect, would you counsel an entrepreneur to expect to give up at the seed round level? Um, well, it depends whether it's angel investment or an incubated investment, um, because you know a, a bunch of angels might come into a group and they all put in, you get two percent each, and there's five of them taking ten. Um, but but from an incubated perspective, ten's the norm, really. So ten. So so you're coming out of the A round, likely having given up thirty to forty points. Would it be fair to say? That's absolutely right. Correct. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's helpful for sure. And. And so you're, and so let's get into it now because there's some people listening to that and saying, oh my gosh, why would I give up so much equity? Uh, you know, uh, why don't I just, like this guy's successful. Why doesn't he just bootstrap it? Well, let's talk about bootstrapping. Yeah. Um, I think the one key ingredient for any entrepreneur, and it's something that I've, I've I've always had is no horizons. I don't understand no, and I don't understand horizons. And that's great, and that's what gets you through the day, and that's what makes you successful. But what it doesn't do is build a team. And what it doesn't do is actually make you stand back and go, I need help building this product. And I think the problem is, is that in a lot of situations, that 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 idea that you have, that that um, that focus you have becomes incestuous. You just you just you hold on to it and you and you're focusing so strongly on that one that you need to step up, step back and look at um, what you need to give away to grow. And that's that's what that 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 to me is a much more more mature way of of building a business is is actually sharing it. Sharing it with your team in house as well. I mean every single member of our team was actually um, taking salary and and a shareholding in the business. 
Um, there wasn't one single person, whether they were a junior or a senior in the business, that didn't have a stake in the game. And how big did you get Connected Yard before you sold it? Uh, what do you mean by how big? Yeah, I was thinking number of employees, but it could be revenue. I mean, whatever uh, way you want to answer it. Yeah, no, we were you know a company size of twenty five to thirty people. Um, we were um, deployed a product for over twelve months in the marketplace um, with stable results, um, monitoring you know tens of thousands, uh, you know millions of gallons of water. Um, we were um, we were stable and actually uh, had uh, retail uh, outlets um, um, that we were selling into. Um, we had great data back from the product in terms of it's 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 um it's um it's 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 uh, how long it was lasting in the field and and its RMA process you know so 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 we did well we we got to a point where the business now needed to hit the hit the foot on the gas and grow larger with a B round and that's where you've got to decide uh, at that point what's your best bet is it uh, um, a B round or is it potentially an acquisition and for us. It was an interesting time. If you imagine that we started this company four years ago at a time where smart technology was in its infancy, you know, and was growing. Uh, everyone knew there was consolidation on platform technologies. Everyone knew that smart technology and sensors were were, were, were going to be prolific in the marketplace. But then, what happens um, is consolidation. And uh, sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes it happens in three to five years. Sometimes it happens sooner. Sometimes it it never happens, and you never get to sell your company. There's, ne there's, there's never consolidation. For us, what happened to us is that we were looking and we saw that um, a B round was you know we needed to go uh, go big or go home and actually grow this business now. Um, it was it was getting fantastic results back in in, in here in the U.S., but there was international to consider. Um, and then there was also the ability to actually grow the infrastructure of the business to make it more stable and 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 more profitable. And so we we, we went around looking for B round, got a lot of interest. But out of all that interest, we actually got an offer to acquire. And that's a struggle. That's a struggle for anybody to say, is it time to let go of my baby or not? And uh, if you look back at um, that, I, I, need to, I, I need to look back at previous experiences with other startups I've sold. And my, my previous one uh, with Tamblin, um, with my close friend now, uh, Stuart Waite, um, we actually sold into Alcatel Lucent. Uh, and we did that on a three-year earnout. And we did it because we wanted to actually grow the business in, inside another company. So um, um, simply put, do you take a round of investment, like a B round, and you stand as an, as an, as an island and you grow against uh, the competitors as the, as the marketplace starts to, co to consolidate and start fighting off com 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 competitors that aren't just startups, they're actually mature companies that have already acquired some of your com competitors and actually putting a lot of skin in the game to, to grow that sector? Or do you actually reverse yourself into a larger entity to actually help you grow as a business and grow that success over, over time? And that's what you guys did at Tamblin, the company that you started before Connected Yard. Yes, exactly what we did. Um, it was one of the big issues, you know, you're alluding to it earlier about um, valuation is acquisition value as well. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, what is that value? Okay, I'll give away 10% and you give me, you know, uh, $100,000. Uh, dollars. Okay, my company is valued at a million. This is an example. Um, and then you know you've got to um, go into a, 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 a seed round and a round, and you keep building upon that. The same comes to for an acquisition value. You've got the potential for your business, and you've got the actual EBITDA, your profits, or your revenue that you're actually currently 
currently um, um, affording your business. Um, obviously, you know, some acquirers are going to take one look at you and go, well, here's your current revenue. I'll give you a multiple of that. You know, be lucky and, and go home. <laughs> uh, other, other acquirers will actually take a long look at that and go, well, actually, we can see where this is going. We see you need time to actually build this model and prove it out with our support. And then we can value you at a later stage. And that's what we did with Tamblin. We actually got valued over time. Uh, and so we were able to actually um, leave after three years with a very solid earnout, uh, having built that business and handing it handed it over. Love to dig into that because we hear so many horror stories on this show about earnout. So this your earnout sounds like it was a tremendous success. So how was it structured? Tamblin was acquired by um, Lucent. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and so yeah, so how was the structure? What what proportion was on an earnout versus uh, uh, kind of paid up front? Um, we were evenly split on that in terms of getting a um, cash out um, up front and then and then cash at the end. Um, uh, and it, it it varies it varies a lot between deal to deal structure. Um, and it really is um, it's down to two things. One. It, 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 you've got to look each other in the eyes and see um, what's in it for each other. So what I mean by that is, is that do you want 75% of the cash out immediately because you're going to walk away two months later and you don't care about the business? Or do you want to take out 25% cash because you really believe in that business, you want to help grow it through that acquirer and actually see the 100% return and then a big return in, in one, two, three years time? And so, you know, an acquiring company is, is, is going to look at you in two different, in, in a number of ways. And one is, do I have a management team that's going to, I can rely upon to build this business and, uh, and, uh, and uh, actually grow it in, inside my, my company and actually integrate into the various departments I have? Um, or two, do I just want to pull out the, the assets and, 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 and strip it? And, and, and fire everybody and just absorb the, the, the product uh, that I wanted or even get rid of the product because it was a competitor to my own. So that, that long, hard stare in the eyes with the acquirer and yourselves about what each other's um, key motivation is, is really important. And so in your case, in the case of your, the acquisition Tamlin, you guys said, we want half the money up front and then half we're willing to take in some sort of earnout. Yeah, um, I, I, I need to generalize this. I can't give exactly. Okay, numbers, okay, but, but, no problem. But, but, but yeah, the, the principle was, yeah, it'd be nice to, for the team to re be rewarded to a certain level for the hard work they put in, the yep. six years of work that they've done to actually say, there's a great milestone, guys. You know, you you, you did did well, and, and thank you for that. However, the rest is now up to you in, in, in actually growing it into the larger entity, and let's, let's put our heads down and go for it. And were you guys able to get paid out on the on the the next tranche, if you will, like it sounds like it, it ended up being a success. It was a success, but it's always very difficult. I think one of the biggest problems any um, entrepreneur has is being an entrepreneur within a mm. corporation. What did and, you find? Sorry? What did you find? <laughs> well, um, at, the, at the end of the day, you've got to decide who your stakeholders are in, in the acquirer. Do these people get the, your mindset? Do they actually understand where you're coming from and what motivates you? Do they understand why you do this for a living? Why you risk everything to actually build something from scratch and then want to hand it over? And if they understand that, then they're going to they're going to work alongside you to to to, to ensure that success. Um, so we, we had um, uh, a bunch of milestones set about handing the business over, about hitting certain goals, about revenue goals, about some um, uh, keeping existing licenses running with existing customers, etc. And so all that ties into those. Um, 
those uh, those, those internal goals that, that that new stakeholders have from the acquirer as well. So. You know, what I've heard about earnouts, again, doing this show now, we've done over 100 episodes. I hear stories um, about things like, you know, in the first three months, it was great. It was this honeymoon period. Everything was wonderful. And then things started to change. Um, you know, my budget got cut or there were conflicts in terms of the direction of the business, et cetera. Did, did you, like, what advice would you give an entrepreneur who is, is about to embark on an earnout where a significant portion, let's say half or, you know, a third, a big, big chunk of their consideration for their company is yet to be paid is, is contingent on them achieving this earnout. What advice would you give an entrepreneur in that set in that set, in that set setup? Well, the biggest um, thing to understand with with anything like this uh, is you, you're you're going from a situation where you control everything to a situation where potentially you may not control anything. And so, one that staring each other in the eyes and knowing that the, the business is going to be handed over correctly and that you have the same vision is vital. Secondly, you need to be able to to actually um, decide upon. And actually empathize with that acquiring company about their goals. I mean, corporate, corporate world is very different to startup world. Uh, things take longer. They just do. Uh, you, 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 you've got a big tanker that's heading in a direction which is looking really good. But to steer that ship takes, um, takes time. I mean, the amount of times I've been in, in startup board meetings where we've pivoted on an idea overnight and come out the other side um, within a week and we've got a, a new product um, um, pivot resolved um, within two or three months. It happens all the time. But if you start working with a corporation where they have uh, their own investors um, to actually deal with, they've actually got uh, um, uh, um, uh, bigger teams that, that actually are, are invested in, in, in the process, then you've got to be, be mindful towards that. So, 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 so my advice there is, is, is one, understand who you're dealing with, but understand their motivation as well. And then secondly, be prepared to actually work in a different way. Actually, you need to embrace corporate life because that's what you've been brought into. Got it. Is there any anything that you can do to protect yourself? Uh, I'm talking, you know, specific tactics, legal tactics that you can do to ensure that you maximize your chances of of a successful or not. Yeah, I think one of the key things is is um, is to put in a a clause which is is basically um, a clause which um, which penalizes the acquirer for 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 limiting your growth. Uh, and there's various ways of doing that. Um, uh, and, and, and there's various ways of, of, of acceptance of being done as well. Can you, can you give me an example? <laughs> so, you know, example is, is that just say, for example, that um, uh, part of your KPIs um, for your earnout was to hand over the business to uh, um, an, an international sales force. Well, that sales force may never have, um, have worked in your sector before. They may have no experience with 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 what you're what you've you've built and sold, and therefore, um, you know that 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 limitation could be that yes, you've done a great job. You could you could have spent your six months on a plane um, with a suitcase, handing the business over and training up a sales force globally, but to find that it's Falling on deaf ears because that sales force isn't really motivated by by your product, doesn't actually understand why it's got it in its in its portfolio. 
And therefore, you want to make sure that 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 limitation um, is actually rewarded in some way. That could be rewarded with more time um, for your for your handover to actually to bring in um, other salespeople to actually support that and and to build another six twelve months into the earnout process to actually uh, address that. It could be a reduction on 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 that um, that KPIs. Um, uh, achievements um, in, t- in terms of what you get out of it, so actually biasing maybe some of the other um, KPIs that 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 were that were in the internet. But how would you paper that so that it it's not like a he said she said? How, how would you like? Let's use your example of the international sales force. You're like, okay, we got to sell this product. Part of why I'm you know agreeing to be acquired by you is you've got this international sales force, and part of the deal, the vision here is the international sales force is gonna 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 sell this product. Um, you know, if if that doesn't happen, isn't it just down to a bunch of subjective interpretation? Like, well, you know, we tried to sell it, but our customers didn't want it, or you know, you didn't do enough good enough jobs, you know, training us on how to sell the product. Like, how do you, how do you, in an objective way, measure that so that you'd have the legal teeth to enforce that stip, like that that term in a, in an earnout? Well, it's down to performance hindrances, and I think you know what you just said there is very interesting. You said legal teeth. Mm-hmm. And I think the the worst scenario you can ever get into is where you require legal teeth. If you actually need to get to the point where it becomes a dispute, you've chosen the wrong partner in the first place. Um, okay, sure, I, I would, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to that. But at the same time, there's still like you know, there's a lot of money that could be on the table here. You know, in in some cases, millions of dollars. And so people don't, companies don't give up that amount of money without being able to know that, yes, you met the threshold or no, you didn't. I love the idea of having these penalties. I'm just trying to figure out how you would structure the earnout so that that everybody was clear when it, if it did happen or it didn't happen, if the penalty was to take effect or, or was not. It seems somewhat squishy to me, but no, Maybe you, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I can't talk about actuals, but I can mm. talk about um, the, the, you know, the concept. And from a conceptual perspective, it's going right back to, to, to square one. Why are you selling that business? Why are they a good partner to be an acquisition partner? If you both know what you're going into, you can set out a list of commercial terms of where you're where you're going to you're going to you're going to hand this business over that becomes your term sheet that becomes your objectives your kpis your performances that you're 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 aiming for together that's what you have to do it's not about hey i need more cash i want to hand the business over because it's about to go bust and these guys are going to come and pick it out of the weeds and 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 and, and take it on or I, I just need to be rescued this is about having a company that's ready for sale Having a company that's primed for growth and need to succeed now through through that 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 that, that an additional in, in investment through a, a larger entity, and if you both stare each other in the in, in, in the uh, across the table in the eyes and actually agree upon the terms for handover and what makes you both successful, then you set those terms, you set that success up, and then you can be hold each other accountable to that. Excellent. Let's go back to Connected Yard for a moment, um, because this was a, a obviously a very recent acquisition. Um, you you were you had two paths in front of you. You had the raising of the B round. It was obviously a hugely successful company to that point. Uh, you could have raised a B round, presumably, or you had this invitation to to be acquired by Hayward. What, what maybe take me into the boardroom and and try to help me understand. The, the the kind of pros and cons. How how did you guys come to the decision that it was right to to be acquired? 
It's all about consolidation. Um, everything you do in life gets consolidated. And no, no matter what dream you have, somebody else will come up with that with, with an answer to that, um, and, 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 and you know, a blink of an eye around the corner. And so, any startup um, that you that you create is, is always going to be open. Is the day you open the doors to co competitors, and with competitors comes growth, and with growth comes consolidation. You want that. That's the whole point of doing it in the first place. You want to consolidate a market. You want to make that market better. You want to make that um, um, make your product actually stand out and, 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 and get competitors to, to grow, but then um, have, have um, acquiring companies come along and, and want to scale it. So consolidation always happens, and it's all about timing. So every t from the day you have come up with that initial idea and you get pre-seed investment, you need to be looking, looking over your back to see what's coming, coming down um, like a big ton of weights on top of you because um, the, the last thing that you, 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 you can afford to do is, is, is not look at what's out there and what's coming. And that tsunami so, is always coming. So you were not able to protect uh, the product to the set. Like you couldn't you couldn't block anyone from creating a competitive product. I guess the idea wasn't that proprietary. Am I right? Of course you can, and we have um, we have um, IP um, supporting that. We have a three part business that nobody could possibly even begin to follow. We are with a with a hardware product with service and fulfillment delivered to the door, um, all um, just in time, uh, hand picked. Is completely unique. But, uh, but, 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 that, okay. but that doesn't stop consolidation happening across your industry and other competitors being picked up and, and, and similar products coming to market. Got it. So you believed you had something that was truly unique, but there were, there were still, you were still worried about competitive products coming up. Yeah, they, 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 that, it's not so much about competitive products. It's about the ability for large organizations. Uh, look at the chemical industry. This chemical in industry has been around for 50, 60, 70 years. Hmm. Very mature business, in a multi-billion dollar business that's, um, that survived um, all, all kinds of technology changes. They've, they've come and gone. And here, here comes a little, little startup <laughs> that ends up um, bypassing that chemical industry and shipping chemicals to, to your door. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty, pretty blazing. And you know, what was great was that we got investment from one of the, one of the largest in the world to actually to actually um, to, to track us and follow us. But then that consolidation, you've got to realize that do you want to be you know, an 800-pound gorilla with 20 million in a bank account um, sat on an island? Um, or do, do you actually want to, to actually um, be, um, as consolidation hits, be part of an existing ecosystem that's, that's, that's already there with a, a larger entity? So how did Hayward come to the table? Were they one of the companies that you were considering, uh, or that you were approaching for the B round? I guess we have a great story here. Um, and again, a big shout out to, to Stuart Baker, who's um, um, v VP of product at uh, Hayward. Um, he's an English guy, just like myself. And it's not that we're being biased being English, but um, it was a roundabout story um, where um, some of his team were actually um, uh, introduced, introduced Stuart um, to our product and they showed interest in it. Uh, and we, we got on a phone call. And they didn't think that we were we were we were looking for investment, uh, you know, and we didn't didn't think they were interested. And uh, you know, a, an hour long conversation where we 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 talked frankly about the business, it, it became clear that it was a really good fit. And did you so that so did they make the next move? Did they say, hey, listen, we'd like to acquire you guys, or did you suggest it? Um, 
it's just like first kiss. Who kissed who, who the first? I exactly. Remember. Who leaned in the first <laughs> in, the, in, in the first moment? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I can I can remember that. All I all I remember is that um that's uh, Haywood um is 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 a fast growth company. It's actually doing extremely well in this sector. It's 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 backed by three PE companies. That's um. Um, that are that are backing it to, to some some amazing results in the next three to five years, and with that, you know these guys want to 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 to, to move quickly. I think for them, acquisition made a lot of sense. And did for you guys, um, did you consider shopping the business around a little bit uh, once this acquisition idea sort of percolated in your mind? Where did you did you go to other folks? Um. So. Shopping a business around is an interesting concept. Um, it's a bit like my previous um, comment about shopping your business around for investment. Um, you shop it around too much, then everyone gets to hear about it, and the story gets old and ages pretty quickly. Shopping around is similar to that. I mean, um, if you stumble across um, a partner and you look each other um, in the eyes and you, you think there's a great potential there, then there's nothing that leaves a, a, a worse taste in someone's mouth than finding out that you're shopping it around in the background as well. So I think it's all down to your circumstances. I mean, if you're able to 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 stealthily shop a business around ahead of the time before an offer is made to you, um, then of course, you know, you, you're just being prudent about, about what's out there in, the, in, in, in your marketplace and making sure that your, your shareholders are being well looked after. Um, if however, you know, you get an offer, um, and the offer is a good one and it's, it's, a, it's a credible company that you believe that you can one and one, it can equal three, then shopping around, um, is, it, it's, it's difficult to do. How did you. I realize that you can't share the the the, the sale price, and I respect that. How did you um, interpret the offer from Haywood? Um, like, how did you know it was a good offer? I guess is my question. Like, what, like how did what was the math you were doing to try to figure out? Okay, yeah, this is a good offer. This is a fair offer. This goes right back to the beginning about um, you know. Do you take ten percent on a million, you know, on hundred thousand on ten percent and value a company in a million? What is your ambition as a startup owner, as an entrepreneur? What are you trying to achieve? Um, uh, you know, are you trying to build a business that is worth a hundred million dollars? Are you trying to business build a business worth ten million dollars? What is your focal point? Is it not about cash? Is it about actually making a difference to your community? Is it about changing uh, uh, an ecosystem? Is it about giving yourself um, um, a, a change of career? Um, for us, what we did the baby, excuse me, what we did at the very beginning was we actually um, focused on what we saw, the a total addressable market and what we, we saw as a, a growth for the business over five years. And we, we locked that from, from day one. We took 14 million pools and hot tubs here in, in North America, approximately a third of the total addressable market worldwide. And we looked at a penetration of under half percent and we realized we could grow a business potentially worth $100 million. And that's what you've got to focus on. You go, well, that's where I want to be in five years' time. Can I grow a business to that kind of size over five years against that addressable market? It, does it make sense? And then along the, along the journey, along those five years, comes offers, comes interest, kind of comes decisions you have to make about what's, what's going to um, force you to, to take a lesser offer, a greater offer. You're going to make choices. And for us, that choice came well below, well before those five years. And you know, are we able to to to, to, to still um, um, get a valuation that's halfway through that? That makes sense. 
if the answer is yes, then then jump on it. Right. So you're sitting there, and the, and again, the the numbers actually don't really matter. But to use your example, um, so you're you know one might say, okay, I I have a fairly high degree of confidence that somewhere north of 10% confidence level, less than 50, something like that, that in five years, I could make this business worth $100 million. Yet, I've got an offer for whatever, uh, 40% of $100 million. Um, you know, do I take that as a sure thing? Or do I roll the dice and, and, and know that you know, there's only a small chance that I'll be able to make it. Is that the kind of thinking you're doing? Like the, t almost like the time value of money saying, I've got to invest five more years to get there. And there's a lot of risk associated with getting there. And so, so burden the hands were two of the bush. Is that kind of the thinking? Absolutely right. It's exactly right. And at the end of the day, this is your own destiny, but, um, and it's your destiny for your team as well. And so, you know, um, once you start, you know, building a team that, that has equity in your business and you're building up that momentum and you have investors behind you, you've got a, a a lot of responsibility there to do the right thing and therefore you've got to be mature about that and sometimes you know um um uh, um Cutting off, cutting off your nose to spite your face is, is a difficult thing to do. But um, you've got to make sure that what you're actually doing here is, is, is actually thinking about the long term, thinking about, about the, the way the business and the people in that business are, go, are going to be able to grow and succeed. And how does it work? I've, I'm, I've never uh, built a venture-backed business, so this is total ignorance and naivete driving the question, but I'm interested in how it works around the boardroom table with the guys from Playground, your, the venture capital company that invested in you. So, so Hayward comes to you with an offer, whatever that offer is, is kind of immaterial to this question. Uh, do they have the rights to force you to sell, uh, to accept that offer? Do you... Like wh wh who it, it like where does it play out? Is it is it like take me inside the boardroom where your VC is is kind of commenting on or guiding you to decide on whether that offer is good enough? Well, again, I I, do, I don't want to go into specifics because it's no in general, but, but I can definitely give you some some generalization. Mm -hmm. um, your, your shareholders agreements, um, the terms of trade you're, you're working with, they all, you know, voting rights, they all play into this. And it, it's, a, it's an extraordinary game. Um, the, the, the one thing um, that I, I, I recommend is, is that get a good legal team behind you. You know, we had an extraordinary legal team here. Um, 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 uh, and uh, they actually um, uh, are giving you advice for the future because, you know, even right down to, to the first time you, you sell preference shares and what those voting rights are, they can make a big difference to you later on when you come to, to coming to be acquired. You know, this will take a lot longer than the time we have available on this call, but, but, but my advice is get great legal advice and, and, and make sure you understand what voting rights are, preference shares are, et cetera, to, so you know what, where you're going to be a few years down the line where you are making those decisions. And what I'm hearing you say is, is it, it, it varies. Depends on the legal structure you've, you've, you've constructed for the investors you brought on. In some cases, they may have the ability to veto it. In other cases, absolutely they, right. they would not. Got it. Interesting. Um, it's fascinating uh, story, and given your experience, I'm grateful for you sharing it. Mark, is there is there anywhere that um, like how do people say hi to you on social media? Reach out to you. What's the best way to sort of connect? Do you want to point people to a website? Is there any way that if folks wanted to follow up on this interview, they they could? 
Yes, of course, by all means. So I'm obviously on LinkedIn, Mark Jaynes. Uh, it's a funny surname, J-A-N for November, E-S. They always pronounce it James or Jones. It's been a lifelong burden. <laughs> um, Just say girl name, boy name. Boy exactly. name, girl name. <laughs> That's a great one. I like that. Yeah, there you go. Why have I name, girl name. <laughs> Obviously, Mark Janes. Janes through our website, finphin.co. Um, I'm going there right after this call. All right. Well, just to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, it was great to have you here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.